Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Chapter 11 of 12 Good Musicians, from John Bull to Henry Purcell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Jackson Twelve Good Musicians From John Bull to Henry Purcell by Frederick Bridge Chapter 11 Dr. John Blow 1648-1708 If there is one name among the twelve musicians with whom I am dealing in this course of lectures to which I desire specially to do justice, it is that of Dr. John Blow. As a child, I sang his anthems in Rochester Cathedral, and I well remember the delight with which I listened to, and took part in, his beautiful and expressive, I beheld and lo a great multitude, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In those days, the great masterpieces of the English Cathedral School were constantly done, and very well done, at Rochester, and none of the anthems, except, I may say, perhaps, Purcell's great anthem, O Sing Unto the Lord, touched me and thrilled me as did that of blow and as long as i played in manchester cathedral and westminster abbey so long did i feel the power and religious impressions of these splendid specimens of blow's genius of course there are many anthems and services by this master but none to me at least ever spoke so eloquently as did the two i have mentioned this is one reason why i approached the subject of blow's career with such a desire to do him justice Another is the strange neglect of most of his secular music, and lastly the absurd and ignorant criticism of Dr. Burney, as displayed in his history, where he talks of Blow's crudities. Without further delay, let us proceed to trace his musical life. I refrain, on account of time, from dwelling much on biographical details in these lectures, so I will merely state that it seems pretty certain that Blow was born at North Collingham in Nottinghamshire, and baptized in the parish church of Newark in February of 1648 or 1649. Let us begin with recording his admission as a chorister to the Chapel Royal, one of the clever boys whom Captain Cook got together and taught. Of his schoolfellow, Pelham Humphrey, I have already spoken, and, like Humphrey, Blow composed anthems while in the choir. It is possible, or rather I think probable, that an entry in Pepe's diary refers to him, under the head of August 21st, 1667, we read, This morning come two of Captain Cook's boys, whose voices are broke, and are gone from the chapel, but have extraordinary skill, and they and my boy, with his broken voice, did sing three parts, 
Their names were Blau and Loggings, but notwithstanding their skill, yet to hear them sing with their broken voices, which they could not command to keep in tune, would make a man mad, so bad it was. If this refers to Blow, he would be about nineteen years old, and could have had but a very broken voice. But it is not impossible, as many boys retain their voices until a good age, and continue singing alto in a moderate sort of style. It is hardly likely there would be a boy named Blau and one named Blow. And there was some arrangement whereby boys who had left the choir continued to reside with the masters, possibly to study. At the early age of twenty-one, in 1669, he became organist of Westminster Abbey, and the appointment, apparently, was not enough for his ambition, or more probably for his needs, for in 1674 he succeeded Humphrey as master of the children of Chapel Royal, becoming organist also, while still holding Westminster Abbey, in 1676. As regards his degree of music doctorate, I have, on the authority of the late Dr. Southgate, to make a little correction of former statements. It has generally been said the degree was conferred upon blow by Archbishop Samcroft, but Dr. Southgate told me in a note, when I was about to lecture on Blow some years ago, that the degree was granted by Bancroft's representative, the Dean of Canterbury, the Archbishop being dead. It is marked in the Lambeth Register, said vacant. It is thus bestowed when the see was vacant. It is a curious fact that Blow gave up his abbey post in 1680, being succeeded by Purcell, and on Purcell's death in 1695, he was again appointed organist of the abbey and held that post until his death. But I have to record yet another important cathedral appointment which our indefatigable musician held. He was almoner and master of the choristers in St. Paul's Cathedral, holding those offices for six years, from 1687 to 1693. Again he seems to have resigned in favor of a pupil, Mr. Jeremiah Clark. It is a remarkable testimony to the esteem in which he was held that he should have filled posts at the Chapel Royal, St. Paul's Cathedral, and Westminster Abbey all at the same time. Bishops in the old days often presided over a diocese, filled a canonry, or directed a college, and occupied a living or two simultaneously. But Blow seems to me to have been the greatest organist pluralist on record. But this is a testimony to his worth, and in following up our investigation of his contribution to music, I will not dwell longer upon his church music, except to mention that he wrote an anthem, I was glad, for the opening of St. Paul's Cathedral in 1697, and to tell the story of the composition of the anthem which I mentioned in the early part of my lecture, I beheld and lo, when it was performed in the Chapel Royal, the king, who had asked him to compose it, sent Father Peter to say that he was greatly pleased with it. But, added Peter, I myself think it too long. That, answered Blow, is the opinion of but one fool, I heed it not. The priest was greatly incensed at this remark, and it is said that, had not James II lost his place by his sudden flight to France, Dr. Blow would have lost his. Among the anthems of this composer may be mentioned two which he wrote for the coronation of James II, and he also took part in the funeral of William III in the Abbey, receiving, according to an Abbey record, the very large fee of seven shillings ten pence for the latter. He does not seem to have directed the music at the coronation, but took part in the choir. On the death of his pupil, Purcell, he wrote an ode, the words by Dryden, beginning, Mark how the lark and linnet sing. I must not omit to mention that he and Purcell were the organists selected by Father Smith to display the organ of the Temple Church 
at the memorable competition between Smith and Harris, the two rival organ builders. Smith won the day and showed his wisdom in getting the best men to preside at his instrument. It was the custom for many years to have an ode for St. Cecilia's Day composed for and performed in Stationer's Hall on the Saint's Day. Blow wrote the second of these odes in 1684, the year of the Temple Church competition. He published, in 1700, a great collection of his secular vocal music under the title of Amphion Anglicus, and in his dedication to the Princess Anne of Denmark, he announces that he is preparing, as fast as I can, a second musical present, my church services, and divine composition. He gives his sentiments with regard to sacred composition in the same dedication, which are worth repeating. To those in truth, I have ever more especially consecrated the thoughts of my whole life. All the rest I consider, but the blossoms, or rather the leaves, those I only esteem as the fruits of all my labors in this kind. With them I began my first raptures in this art. With them I hope calmly and comfortably to finish my days. The composer did not carry out his design, though he lived about eight years after this. A very interesting work, which has only of late years been made known, is a masque entitled Venus and Adonis. Some years ago, I noticed it among the music in the chapter library at Westminster. It has since been edited by Mr. Arkwright, and, quite lately, produced upon the stage at Glastonbury. It is very interesting, as it shows that Blow, like Purcell, had a leaning to dramatic music, and this mask is specially noticeable as it consists of musical dialogue, not spoken, thus coming very near to a little opera. Blow also contributed to some choice lessons for the harpsichord, a collection published by Playford, to which also Henry Purcell contributed. There are also interesting specimens of organ music, among which is a curious arrangement of the hundredth psalm tune, as they are played in churches and chapels. I have also a copy of a master's lesson on the hundredth psalm. It would now be called a choral prelude for the organ. After a short introduction, the whole tune appears at intervals in the bass, with very florid upper counterpoint. It is evidence of Blow's knowledge of organ effects and of his ability as a player. A writer in 1711, three years after Blow's death, tells us he was reckoned the greatest master in the world for playing most gravely and serenely in his voluntaries. And we have Purcell's testimony to him as one of the greatest masters in the world. With this testimony before him, it seems incredible that Dr. Burney should have made such a fierce onslaught upon this really excellent man and versatile musician on account of what he calls his crudities. He has actually given four pages of music type in his history, full of quotations of Blow's misdeeds. I have examined these carefully, and in many cases the examples are really a remarkable testimony to Blow's advanced ideas and his feeling for pathetic and expressive harmony. In some specimens there are obvious misprints, accidentals omitted, etc., which Burney, had he not been prejudiced, would certainly have perceived but it is not worth while to follow up this matter, although I am sorry to say Sir Frederick Ousley took rather the same line when commenting on Blow's music. He really pays Blow a compliment when he says that he always appears to have been trying experiments in harmony or introducing new combinations and discords. This was what was said of another great musician, Montverde, to whom we owe so much, and such criticisms only bring discredit upon the writers who fail to see the value behind the novelty. Sir Hubert Perry, in speaking of these crudities, says they do blow, for the most part, great credit, for they show that he adventured beyond the range of mere conventional, and often with the success that betokens genuine musical insight. 
i have already commented upon his greatest anthems i beheld and lo and i was in the spirit they are full of examples of blow's melodious power and this also comes out in some of his secular airs perhaps one of his best is his beautiful song which is to be found in amphion anglicus entitled the self-banished beginning it is not that i love you less the words are by waller and the music is worthy of them blow as described by sir john hawkins was a very handsome man in his person and remarkable for a gravity and decency in his deportment suited to his station this worthy musician died in seventeen o eight aged sixty and is buried in westminster abbey near the old entrance to the organ loft and in close proximity to purcell a fine monument is erected near the spot and a specimen of his composition in the form of gloria from one of his services is engraved thereupon this gloria is said to have been sung at st peter's at rome i remember an interesting matter in connection with this monument in my early days at the abbey during dean stanley's time the emperor of brazil paid a visit and was shown round the abbey by the dean the only thing he specially asked to be shown was dr blow's monument the dean told me his majesty inspected it very closely and seemed to be reading the music he probably knew more about blow's music than bernie's history notation one there is an account preserved in the bodleian library of blow being paid forty pounds a year for keeping and teaching two boys but this was in sixteen eighty five it shows that it was usual for boys whose voices were gone to be kept on for tuition end of chapter eleven dr john blow